Amen. Good to see you. It's so nice to come in here and have people in the building. You know what? This was, we did this, what, a year and a half with like eight or ten of us, and we got tired of each other, I think. Uh, but it's nice to have some variety, and it's, it's good to have you guys here with us. We are um, moving into this series we're calling Journey of the Soul. Um, it's a little bit different than what we normally do in the fall. We, we're kind of stepping away from our lectionary for this eight weeks, and, and the basic flow, maybe you've gotten this already, or if you're new here today, we're, we're going to, after church, say about 11, 10, whenever this guy stops talking up here, there's coffee and some muffins in the gym, and then at 11.30, we're just going to invite you to join a community group. They'll be spread all over the church. I'm going to point out the leaders to you so you know at the end of um, the service today who, who it is and kind of where they are. Um, and I also want to say, you know, <laughs> this is one of those things... I, the thing that's driving it is one of our values is living as family, and we want to live as a family. All ages, all groups, we want to actually get to know each other and spend life with each other. So and sometimes teenagers feel like, okay, what is this for me? Like the Sunday clubs might be a little bit younger for me, and this seems a little bit... I want to invite teenagers, a couple... If you, if you think your parents are as cool as we do... Uh, you're welcome to go with your parents wherever they want to go, but, but my guess is that most of you don't think your parents are as cool as we do, uh, and you might want to go somewhere else. Sorry, parents, I'm sorry to offend you with that, but, but feel free to join a group. We want uh, to do some connecting across generations as well. We'd love to have us do that all together. Um, so the text that we're going to look at over the next eight weeks, loosely following what's in this book, you don't have to have read this book, um, but we are inviting people to read along with it, talk a little bit about that in the group today. Um, but the goal, like I say, is to live life together, to actually share life with each other. And so the text this week is Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 to 10. Paul wrote this. It's a letter to Ephesus. It's a big metropolitan city. And he opens the first part of the letter. He does this a lot of times in his letters. Is he talks about a, a big truth. Like in, and in Ephesians, he's talking about the reality of who we are in Christ. He starts that, the first three chapters. And then from chapter 4 on, he kind of jumps into... Okay, because this is who we are, this is how we live. He does that lots in the way he structures his letters. But we're going to pick it up actually in chapter 2. He ends chapter 1 talking about this incomparably great power of God for us who believe. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenlies on the throne. And he, he ends with that idea of God's power. And then he moves into chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to ask Jen, right, if she will read that for us. Morning. Morning. So this um, section of text is actually called Made Alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, Jen. So at the end of chapter one, he's talking. He says, God's power was so great that it raised Jesus from the dead. And then at the beginning of chapter two, he says, and then as for you, and literally in the Greek it says, and you. It's, it's, it's moving into what this power is going to be doing for us. The sermon title today is Where We Were. This is a really hard one for an American Southern boy to say without a drawl, sorry. Where we were, where we are, and why the difference. Where we were, where we are, and why the difference. And he starts with where we were, which is not a very beautiful place. He says we were dead in sin. Mark Twain, uh, a reporter, had heard that he had died, so he contacted Mark Twain, and you may have heard this. Uh, Mark, Mark Twain's response was, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Right? I think we've all heard that, right? Uh, well, the opposite is the point of starting our spiritual life. You know, we, we talk about um, our spirit, our soul, and, and I, I don't want to separate the fact we have a physical body and a spiritual soul, but the two are really linked. It's not, they're not separate things. They, they, they feed together, and the, the body's going to be redeemed one day, and the soul's going to be made new, and we're, we're all going to be perfect. But, but in our spiritual journey, rumors of our life initially have been greatly exaggerated. We think we have more than we do. We start our spiritual journey from a less than promising place, according to Paul. In verse 1, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead spiritually. You had no hope. You had less than hope spiritually in and of yourself. And the question is, how do we get there? Well, he says, it seems we began our journeys with a following that leads to death. Last week, we looked at Psalm 23. We talked about this spiritual journey. We're following the shepherd, right? It's, it's, it's this pathway that we're walking on and being led by the shepherd. But the reality is, uh, we all follow something. We have a statement we say here around Grace Baptist Church occasionally saying everyone is on a spiritual journey whether they realize it or not. We're going somewhere. You're following something whether you realize it or not. The question is who or what? And Paul says that before Jesus, we were following, quote, the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. These two things, the ways of this world, the patterns and the habits that we see all around us, the power of these systems to shape us. I made a video this week, some of you may have seen it, where I talked about 
how the world is shaping our response to the crisis of the pandemic. And, and we seem to be responding the way the world responds. And, and, and my hope is that the church is the one place where we can navigate love and grace toward each other, even though we have people in the room that think differently about what's going on, that have different understandings, that have different ideas. The church should be the one place because we're not basing it. We, sh we shouldn't follow the ways of the world that polarizes, that divides, that demonizes the other side. The ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's a, that's a Greek phrase that was, it was the kingdom just below heaven in, in the mindset of the people that Paul's writing to. It was where the evil one resided in their minds. It was where the, the demonic forces were. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And where we were and where people are before Jesus is following a path that means spiritually we're as good as dead. We have nothing that we can do. We're, we're, we're dying, and in fact, our actions are shaping our very nature at that point. The things we do as we live according to these patterns, it actually shapes who we are. As it shapes us into people who were by nature objects of wrath or deserving of wrath, or the, the literal Greek says children of wrath. And, and I'll define wrath. Wrath is God's anger against sin. But I want you to be careful with that easy definition because it, it kind of makes God just look like he's mad and he's zapping whatever he's mad at. Wrath is this fuller idea where, where it actually comes out of the love of God that he will not allow sin and evil to stay. He is going to purge his creation of all that. So it's, it's actually the love of God that, that is directed toward evil that purifies it for his, all of his creation. And, and Paul says our actions flowing out of our dead spiritual state, or if, if they don't get changed by something, they're going to lead us to this place of destruction, this physical death as well. It's not a nice picture where we start. Feel encouraged? You're dead. It feels <clears throat> less than hopeless because our spiritual death is just perpetuating more death. Until ultimately, if we keep going in that path, we'll wind up destroyed by the purifying wrath of God. And that, my friends, is where we were. But the good news, that this is not where we have to stay, right? The, the text is clear on that. Because of the work of Jesus, it says, we are now alive in Christ. I'm telling you really basic stuff here, but I'm going to dig in a little bit. So just hang with me. Don't check out, okay? You hanging with me? Yes? Nod your head. You know, I... This, this doesn't give me enough expression, so I need some head nods and wave in and amens or whatever you want. There's funny. Yeah, I can't always count on Pauline to get that hand going. That's good. Uh, we, we, we were spiritually dead, but now we're alive in Christ. In the words of that Canadian philosopher slash, I'm not serious about this theologian, Drake, we started from the bottom and now we're here, right? There's that song that says we were dead, but now we are Alive, And the contrast emphasizes the change, the reality of what we were without Jesus. Helps us better understand our situation with the love and mercy of Jesus. It's, it's as radically different as death is to life, he says. Everything is drastically changed. And just, just let the metaphor sink in here for a minute. What Paul is saying is, if you went to your spiritual funeral, you're dead in the casket. Right? You have nothing to offer. It's over and then all of a sudden you jump out 
Imagine going to a funeral where somebody woke up. I have never done that. I never want to be leading a funeral where that happens unless it's the return of Jesus at that moment. Well, I'll be okay with that. But that's a scary, that, that's what he's saying has happened spiritually to us. And it's all because of God's love and mercy. He's talked about our past nature. But now he moves on to the nature of God. He says, well, apart from him, we were by nature objects of wrath. But look at what God's like talk about the kind of God that God is because of his great love for us, he says, God who was rich in mercy. Remember last week we talked about Peter saying, you know, that, that God's not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient because he's not wanting anyone to perish but all to come to repentance. How that is the heart of God. This is the nature of God. Yes, there is wrath. Yes, he will purge. He will destroy evil. He will. That's, that's within his nature too. But the heart of God, he says, is love and mercy. And we, as a church, we can't let that get distorted or forgotten in our desire to end evil. We've got to realize that God ultimately acts out of love and mercy. And that it makes us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. We've been brought to life spiritually. And, and then he keeps going. He uses a term that we've talked about before, proleptic speech. And even more. Jake and I like this term proleptic. Uh, it, it's, it's a grammatical term or a, a, yeah, an English term that, that is used when you are saying something in the future as if it's currently true. We all do it. You don't think about it. You've never thought I'm speaking proleptically. But how many of you have been talking to your friend or your spouse or your kid and you're trying to get them to hurry up and leave and what you say is while you're standing in the same house, you say, I'm in the car and then you go out the door. Are you in the car when you said that? You're not in the car, right? Or, I'm gone. You're not gone. You're actually here, right? Um, and that's, that's proleptic speaking. You're speaking something in the future as if it's currently true. And that's what he says here in our text, verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Not only are we alive now, but we're actually seated with Christ. And he speaks that as if it's currently present. And he used, Paul uses that a lot in his writings, which makes me think, in some sense, it's not just declaring the future, it's actually declaring what's actually true. He says in Colossians 3, 3 and 4, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The real you, he says, is with Christ and now you're thinking, what do you mean? I'm right here. The real you, the one that's been brought back to life, is with Christ. That's why I say it's proleptic speech and even something more. It's, it's a truth about you that we can't even really um, see unless we see it by faith. That's why we're called to fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. And this truth, our death to life, our transformation he says it's, dis it's displayed for the glory of God. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches, the riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He's displaying his glory through what he's done for us. Now this is the text. This is what he's saying. He's saying you were dead, now you, you're alive, and you're alive because of the love and mercy of God, and not only are you alive... You're, you're not even who you think you are. You're beyond that. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And he's doing that so that the rest of the world can see his incomparably great kindness 
for you. See, Paul wants you to see that from death to life, grace has made all the difference. Grace is one of the most used, I think, Christian words. We talk about it. Anybody ever heard a sermon on grace? Anybody ever read a verse about grace? We say it all the time. But I, I think it's one of the least internalized spiritual truths. We, we know what it is, but we still struggle to live by it. The old, dead ways of doing things on our own and following our own direction still linger in the background, and they pull us away from this new life that is fed and fueled by grace. And we say the word grace. We say it all the time, but we may not be actually living in it or by it. It's not something we can earn, but something that we're given. The text makes it very clear that it is all gift, every bit of it, even our faith. It says, and we've been saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, but it's a gift of God. See, this is, <laughs> I know you've heard this verse a hundred times or a million times, but this is as radical as it gets. This is saying that you are saved by a gift. But what if I continue to sin? You are saved by grace. Through faith. What, what if I run away? You're saved by grace. Through faith. What if I can't ever shake this nagging sin that keeps sneaking back into my life? What, are you saved by shaking that sin? Are you shaved? Say, shaved. Are you saved by... Okay, I'll get back on that. Are you saved by, by doing it right? No, we're not. What are we saved by? By grace. Through faith. And it's all a gift of God. We're a little scared to say that out loud because it sounds too easy. It sounds like something we could take advantage of. And, but it doesn't say that this salvation is a gift as long as you don't take advantage of it. It doesn't say that at all. It says it's, it's a gift. One guy who writes about this really well is Brennan Manning. And in his book, All is Grace, he says this, My message, unchanged for more than 50 years, is this. God loves you unconditionally, as you are, and not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be. It's the message of grace, a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 to 5. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal, reeking of sin, and wraps him up and decides to throw a party, no ifs, ands, or buts. This grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. Jesus is enough, he says. And it, it sounds scandalous, right? Because it is. It is scandalous that it's a free gift given to you. It sounds risky on God's part. Doesn't it sound risky on God's part? To just offer grace to us? It is risky on God's part. But, but salvation is all gift. The grace we need is gift. The faith to take hold of it is a gift. It's all a gift. And the text is clear that good works are the result, not the cause. We don't get it by works. But if we get it, if we get grace, it's, he says works will follow, right? Verse 9 and 10. We are created to do good in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, 
created to do these good deeds that God prepared in advance for us to do. If you get grace, good works will follow. But it's not that you do good works to get grace. Now, I know this is basic truth. But I think, like I said, I think we know it here, but we haven't internalized it in the way we live our lives. Everything we do here is, is, is based on grace, that, that, that life comes out of the grace we've been given from God, our mission here, helping people take one step closer to Jesus. Vitally important, that's what we want to give our lives to. The commitments we call people to, to worship and to learn and to relationships and mission, those are important. And our, and our vision is lives renewed, a community transformed by the power of the gospel. All that is vital. It's important that we know that. But you know what? It all starts with the grace of God for each one of us. And if you don't start at that point, we're never gonna, God's never going to work through us to get to where we want to go. It starts with grace and only grace. Because grace is the pathway for the journey. We've been talking about this journey of the soul. I want you to realize that grace is the pathway that you have to walk. It's the way we walk with God. If we try to walk on any other path, on our own actions, on, on being smart enough, on being good enough, on meeting expectations of, of others around us, any of those paths are going to take us down the wrong direction. We have to walk on this pathway of grace. Now, like I say, nobody here, I would imagine, maybe you do, disagrees with me on this. <laughs> Nobody's like, oh, I don't know about that, because it says it right here. It's an idea that we would all check true on a true-false quiz, but I, I think it sometimes just stays at the point of an idea. We talk about the grace of God, and we're thankful for it, but as we live in our basic actions, it's very hard to work that out. And to live from that place. And so what I want to talk about as we close today is getting this idea from idea or getting this truth from idea to reality. How do we move grace and what flows out of it deeper into our lives? I love uh, in, in Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah says to the Lord, When your words came, I ate them. And they were joy, my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. How do we get grace from a thing we talk about and a thing we understand to something that we've actually eaten and it's flowing through our bodies and it's nourishing the way we live? How do we get grace in us? And, and in this last part, what application section, there's, there's two ideas and there's two ideas. Um, the first two are, are really um, a radical look at who we really are and how we really live. It's, it's self-examination time in these first two, uh, point A and B. And second what follows out of that self-examination. So let's, let's start by looking at the first one. The first thing we have to acknowledge as we look at ourselves is the weakness of willpower. Now, this is where I should be able to get an easy amen. How many of you are willing to admit right now that you have the desire to do the right things, but often you don't have the willpower to actually carry it out? Yeah. <laughs> right? Isn't that frustrating? Right? It's... it's it, Brandon Manning, same guy that I quoted before, he said, once I was asked whether I'm finally letting God love me just as I am, and I said, I'm trying. Do you get the irony of that? Like, are you letting God love you just as you are? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm still working at it. And, and it's because our willpower is not enough to get us to do the good. Willpower is not the pathway for the journey, but so often in church, that's what we think we need to do. I just need to set my mind and do this thing and follow Jesus. 
The will is important. I'm not going to deny that you need to make good decisions. You need to grow in your ability to follow through on those. But it cannot hold the weight of the spiritual journey. If you don't believe me, listen to the guy who wrote this, Paul. From Romans 7, he says, and you know this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So I find this law at work, he says, when I want to do good, evil's right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. Oh, I want to do it so bad. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, by grace you have been saved. Right? That's, that's, that's the key. You're not going to get there just by trying harder. And you've got to come to a place where you admit that. The weakness of my, I cannot do it, God. I cannot do it. I want to do it. And sometimes I do okay. But I always seem to run out of, of strength. And what that means is we need to grow in awareness of the cycle we are on. Now, I'm stealing this from the book. I'm going to show you a little diagram in a minute. But one of our great, greatest detriments to our progress on the spiritual journey is this fact that we're not even really aware of why we're doing what we're doing. It's, it's a lack of self-awareness. We often think we're doing things for one reason, but our deeper motives come to the surface later, right? And Scripture reminds us. He says, look at your own lives. In, in Proverbs 14:8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Think about why you do what you do. Folly of the fools is deception. And this entails slowing down and reflecting and thinking about why did I do that in that situation? Why am I acting this way? Why am I thinking this way? Many people who get <laughs> frustrated. I, I've had this situation a few times. Maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe it's me doing the same thing. But how many times have you heard somebody say, every situation I go to, everybody's out to get me. Or every church I've ever been a part of, they're just so rude. Or every, whatever. I, I've seen people move. Uh, I won't go there. But there are people that have been in every church in hope. And every one of them is bad. And I could have told you that in the beginning. I know the pastors. I know them all. We're all, we're all messed up. Right? But the common denominator in all of our situations is us. And sometimes we need to slow down and think, maybe there's something I've got going on here. Yeah, surely not. Surely not, right? That's right, we're Baptist. We're Baptist. Oh, thanks a lot. With that, we'll go to Lamentations 3.40. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. We have to think about what's going on in our own lives. And that's, that's where I found these two cycles described in this book that you'll see on a little video. I'm I'm going to talk and I'm going to resist the urge to be a bad Japanese dub and move my mouth while my voice is talking through the video. But if we can just put that on, Glenn. The pathways we choose lead to certain places. And we tend to follow them, even if we aren't clear on why we're heading the direction that we are. One of those cycles is what the Galtieri's call the cycle of works. It starts with the driving force of expectations. 
This can be what I think to be God's expectations for me or what other people expect of me or even my own expectations for me. And the goal is to meet those expectations by achievement, to get God's approval or others' approval or even my own approval of myself by what I do, by achieving things, by being successful, by accomplishing. Now, the danger in this path is that when we achieve, when we meet expectations, it feeds our ego and we start to congratulate ourselves for what we've achieved. And very subtly, we begin to base our identity on that. I'm doing well. Look at what I'm doing for God. Look at what other people are saying about me. But as we all know, we can't always keep up that level of achievement. And when we fail, and we will, since we've based our identity on what we do, our failures leave us empty, tired, frustrated, and discouraged. And then we move back to fill the emptiness by once again trying to live up to expectations, which just perpetuates the cycle. You see, far too often we've taken the grace of God and modified it through our religious tendencies to be a cycle of works. But the second option, and one I think that flows out of today's text, is the cycle of grace, and it runs completely counter to the cycle of works, the total opposite direction. It starts with the reality that despite our spiritual deadness, the grace of God has brought us to a place of acceptance, acceptance by God, warts and all, good and bad, that it is all gift And when we start there, when we realize that all we have has been given to us by the grace of God, then that becomes a transformative moment. It actually leads us to a place of energy. We want to respond. You've had that feeling. Someone acts in love toward you and it pumps you up. It releases your desire to act. And as this happens, it actually develops a healthy sense of self-esteem, not based on what we do, which will falter on a regular basis, but on the fact that we are loved and accepted despite our mistakes. It enables us to be honest with our own failures and brokenness because it doesn't jeopardize who we are. We're accepted by God. And a life that flows this way naturally produces fruit. We work with the grace of God. It flows to us and through us and produces fruit by the power of the Spirit. And that allows others to understand the love and the acceptance of God. So we've gotten Tim Larson to read that. He's got a voice for radio. That would be better than this voice. But yeah, See, it's something I really want you to think about. Which, Which, I mean, I know you know about grace. We've talked about it. You know it. You've heard it. But which cycle are you on? You can't be on both. Yes, it's not one or the other. You can. I mean, you, you fight. That, that's the struggle between the two, right? But, but the, way, the thing that motivates our life, if it's achievement, if it's meeting expectations, we're, it's always going to come up empty. And, and coming back to that acceptance when we're empty and realizing that God loves us, that's what actually drives a change in behavior. If, if you're on the work cycle, your, your life's going to be filled with guilt and shame. You're going to say the word, I should do this a lot. I should, I should, I should. On the grace cycle, you're just going to be overwhelmed by the fact that, that you don't deserve this, and yet God has invited you along for the ride anyway.
And see, when we do this self-examination, and yes, that's right, you can be caught between the two, but I want you to think about what, in my, in my daily life, where am I going, what's, what's my default? What do I default to? And once you get that, I want you to, here's two things that you can do. First, an honest admission of where we were. Let the reality of your deadness sink in. That's why willpower isn't the answer. We have to start with admitting where we are, dead apart from the grace of Jesus. David, writing of his own failures in Psalm 32, says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. In our worship service each week, we have a song that, or a reading or something that leads us to confession, to remember that apart from Christ, we can't do it. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to admit our deadness. It's like a man asking for directions. I don't want, my wife says, ask for directions. I don't want to ask for directions because I have to admit that I'm lost. Right? But that's what we got to do. We got to admit where we were. Because that's the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. In that admission, it actually frees you to move toward humble acceptance of where we are. Verse 4 and 5, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. See, this brings the beauty of the contrast to a peak. Think of that first day in hope. There's always that day like March, sometimes April, sometimes May. It's been a long, wet winter, you know, some snow and lots of rain and gray. And then there's that first day when the sun's out, completely blue sky, and it's like the air is alive. You walk outside. I put my short sleeve shirt on and go outside. And you feel like, oh, this is amazing. And you, you've been in this darkness all along, but the contrast makes the, what you've come into even more beautiful. And to say that's where we were makes you enjoy where we are. Not to earn it, not to try to pay God back for it, but to actually believe the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Not he will be, but that he is. The old is gone, the new has come. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now letting that sink down to the core of your identity, to know that it's all about what God has done for me, as that trickles down, that journey of the soul, your soul becomes healed. All of a sudden you, you begin to realize that all these things that you've tried to build yourself up by, will never hold you, but Jesus will. He will. That's the journey of the soul. Before I pray, I just want to invite all of you to participate in one of these groups. There's, I think, uh, 10 of them. Uh, you don't have to have signed up. You can go anywhere you want. What I'm going to do is maybe try to point to people and have them stand up, and I'll just tell you where they are, and then I'll close in prayer. Does that sound good? All right, Scott Penner and Dave Cameron are up there in the balcony. If you guys can, yeah, there they are. Somewhere. Oh, Scott's over there. Sorry, Scott, you're all over the place. Uh, they're going to be in the core, which is the room just upstairs. Uh, Liz and James Colley, waving over there. Uh, they're going to be in the purple room downstairs. Uh, John and Jackie Corbett. Oh, I had it in a different order. John, Jackie, and Ed and Dawn Thomas are partnering in a group. They're going to be over here in the kids' space. Uh, Mark and Lisa Friesen up there. Uh, they're going to be in the common room in Hill. so you actually have to leave and go out and on the, up the left side of the Sotelia. There's blue signs. You'll find it. That's where they're going to be. Uh, Tim and Carrie Larson in the green room downstairs. John and Rachel Ma in the nursery. 
Um, Bruce and Pamela McBride over there, they're in the foyer out here. I put you back where I put, had your apprentice group because I figured you guys had already done it. <laughs> you, you can handle the foyer, not the prime real estate. Karis Nickerson is going to lead a group. Karis is away today, so I'm very sorry for her group. I'll be filling in for her just today, um, but she'll be back and it'll be much better next week. Um, and it's in the orange room downstairs. Uh, Reed and Cindy Nickerson will be in the community hall or what we, you may call the gym. And Veronica and Dwayne Ryder will be in the Hope Room. Where are the riders? There they are. Just right as you come in the door on the right from the outside. So I would encourage you, just grab a cup of coffee, grab a muffin, wander around for a little bit, about 11.30, check into one of these places, and just begin to walk on this journey. The goal is that we can be together and encourage each other to live by grace and, and see that heal the brokenness that we have, that, that lives could be renewed, and that beyond that, our community could be transformed by the power of the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We, we want it to be more than just an idea. So please help it bury itself deep in our heart and our soul. Help us to, to acknowledge our, our need and to trust that you will make up what we can't. Help us to start from a place of acceptance and love by you. And God, um, Help us to live that out, not only for ourselves, but for others that we come in contact with. As we navigate a pandemic, as we talk to people who are very polarized in the midst of an election, help us just to be agents of your grace and your mercy, just as you were to us. Help us to be to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. My, my prayer for you this week is that you can live in that. And if the preacher hadn't gone so long, you'd have more time for coffee and tea and muffins. But grab that and spread out to your groups. God bless you all.